another great opportunity to talk to an amazing woman. So Stephanie and I hopped on the phone, which explains the weird audio, but stick with it. Welcome to the Her Exchange podcast, and it's Expert Week. I'm Sonia. I'm Stephanie. All month long, we've been talking mean girls, and I hope you are energized to charge ahead and always remembering to lift as you climb. Our expert is awesome this week, and for this month, it's just the perfect conversation. Linda Hirschman is a lawyer and a cultural historian and taught philosophy and women's studies at Brandeis University and the author of Sisters-in-Law, How Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg Went to the Supreme Court and Changed the World. Thank you so much for joining us, Linda. Thank you for having me. Your book is about two strong, trailblazing women. They were also one of the few women at that time in such a male-dominated world, and I was shocked by so many of the stories. And specifically one, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was known as a bitch in her law school class. That's shocking to me. (laughs) Yes, really. Isn't that obnoxious? I don't, you know, I don't know how many men at Harvard Law School actually called her bitch. What I do know is that when she was appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States, one of her classmates from Harvard saw fit to tell a group of people that he was speaking to that at Harvard they called her by her nickname, Bitch. So he may have just been a mean boy, right? So it's possible that he was angry and jealous that she had gotten what is essentially the crown jewel of the American legal profession. But that is what he said, and that he felt free to say that, I think, means a lot. You know, I think when women hear these things, either you're walking by a conference room or you overhear somebody talking about you and how they perceive you is so different than the image that you're wanting to project. To have somebody say something like this so publicly when you are at literally the apex of your career. Right. What yeah. did she do? What did she do in that situation? She looked up and said, well, better bitch than mouse." And of course she was right. I mean, this is a woman who had just gone to the highest place that you can go in the United States legal system. She was always very clear on the importance of making her own identity and not internalizing the identities that others, particularly the men around her, created for her. So she did not actually go... Why, that's so wrong. I was really so nice. And how could he say that? She didn't do any of that, right? She was like, well, that's what he calls me. And now I'm just going to totally one-up him. That's right. Let me ask you, we talked a bit in our previous weeks about competition between women in the workplace. And you spoke to this in an interview previously. You didn't describe the women as friends, but were they competitive with each other? Describe to the audience how two women in this male-dominated world partnered and came together instead of became competition for each other, or did they? I have no evidence at all that they saw each other as competitors or threatening in any way. And actually, both Sandra Day O'Connor, Republican, conservative, Christian, rancher, daughter, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, liberal, Democratic, Jewish, Brooklyn girl, acted the same way toward the other women in their lives, not just toward each other, 
but toward the other women who they encountered along the way. I heard criticism of both of them, but I never heard that. I never heard that they put down the women around them or that they saw the women around them as competitors or that they saw each other as competitors. In fact, Sandra J. O'Connor did not have a lot of comparable women around her, right? I mean, there, she graduated from law school in, I don't know, 1952 or something. There were like six women in her law school class, and she was second or third in her class. So there was no comparable woman around Sandra Day O'Connor for a long, long, long time. She had really good women friends. In Phoenix, she was president of the Phoenix Junior League and the uh, head of the board of the most prestigious museum in Phoenix. So she did well in that social world of women, but there just wasn't anyone else, you know, second in her class at Stanford other than William Rehnquist. There were men around her, but not women, who were comparable to her. She did not elicit jealousy because she was so manifestly better qualified than anyone else in the world to do whatever you had in mind, but she also treated the people around her with such courtesy and Mm -hmm. such care that she elicited cooperation in the often fractious feminist movement. I mean, if we're going to talk about mean girls, you could start with Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem's legendary competition and contentious relationship. Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't treat the women around her like that, nor was she treated like that. Wow, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it in the sense of the other trailblazing women at that time. I always say I swam in their wake. When I got out of law school in 1969, 10 years after Ruth Bader Ginsburg did, it was still legal in a constitutional sense, for states and the federal government to discriminate against women like me as much as they wanted to. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, two years after I got out of law school, won the first big case, Reed v. Reed, in which the Supreme Court said for the first time that it was constitutionally questionable for the government to discriminate against women. So I was her beneficiary all those years, and she was making great law, and I was just starting to practice law. So every piece that she carved out in that hard, unforgiving world, I was the beneficiary of that. The first time I went to the Supreme Court of the United States to argue a case, it was an all-male court in 1976. In 1982, when I went to the Supreme Court to argue my second case, Sandra J. O'Connor had been appointed to the court. So I was also the beneficiary of her Wow, that's amazing. I know. It's a great feeling to be able to pay them back in some sense. I hope that they see from the book how much I appreciate what they did. You call them heroes, and certainly you are for the generation that followed as well. So what now, thinking about how we continue to lift as we climb and the doors and the strides that we still need to take, How do we continue to be heroes? What are the steps now that are urgent that our 20-somethings, 30-somethings take now to to break? What, What do we do? Well, I would say in the very largest stage, you do exactly what Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg did, which is you do not internalize other people's low estimate of yourselves. And that came loud and clear from their correspondence and their speeches. If I learned one thing about them in the course of writing this book, it's that they believed that they were entitled to govern 
and even if the other students at Harvard really called her bitch, or even if just one of them saw fit to say that, Ruth Bader Ginsburg never internalized that description. And when the law firm told Sandra Day O'Connor that she was fit only to be a stenographer, she did not say, oh, okay, if that's what you think of me, that must be what I am. She said, no, thank you. And I think it is still so tempting for young women to internalize society's low value that is put on them. And I would say that is the first and most important lesson that they can learn. I went to a conference recently at the highest level, and there was a woman there who was famous for her work in venture capital. And there was a panel on venture capital that I attended because my friend was speaking at it. And I observed the men on this panel treating her as if what she said had no significance until one of them said it, just like the old New Yorker cartoon, and this was 2013. So I know that the world still offers to women, no matter how great their accomplishments, the opportunity to think of themselves as undeserving, and I, having just seen that recently, I want to reiterate that. The other thing that Connor and Ginsburg did is they never pulled the ladder up after them. They could have, I think, reasonably thought that they were so brilliant and so disciplined and so hardworking that they were the exception and that all other women were indeed unworthy. But in, And that's tempting when you're the first or early on in a minority getting power. But they never, ever did that. Sandra Day O'Connor's first law clerk that she took to the Supreme Court with her, which is the highest job that you can get, she took a woman from Phoenix Law Firm who had gone back to law school late and was, I think, maybe just a young partner or a senior associate, and she took her to Washington to be her first law clerk. She lifted that woman up. Being Sandra J. O'Connor's law clerk is a path to success, and O'Connor did that for a woman her very first term. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of course, worked at the Women's Rights Project of the ACLU, and so her great 10 years of great heroism, were spent as a litigator, not as a Supreme Court justice. And in those 10 years, she went to work every day and raised the prospects of women up, including me. So I think it's really important to not pull the ladder up after you. Now, they had suggestions, which are very practical, for how younger women could affect this on the ground, not just tell you not to pull the ladder up, but tell you what to do. And I think they're still very relevant. Sandra J. O'Connor was an elected official. She was first a state senator in Arizona, and then she was the majority leader of the Arizona State Senate. Um, and then she ran for a judgeship. Uh, judgeships in Arizona were elected at the time. And she always believed that it was critical for women to exercise the power of the vote in order to advance their prospects. If things were ever going to change for women, she thought that women should vote in their own interest, vote into office people who would treat them well, and vote for policies that would help them rise. So vote, 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 register and vote, Know your candidate's position on issues affecting women and vote for the candidates 
who will advance women. That would, I think, still be O'Connor's first piece of advice. Ruth Bader Ginsburg worked through the elite life-tenured federal judges. So she had, and she was, you know, in a system that rewards you if you're extremely smart and very hardworking. So she had different characteristics. She would probably say, vote for a candidate who's going to put judges on the Supreme Court like me. She has said that explicitly. So we know she believes that because people keep saying, you're so old, why don't you retire? And she keeps saying, well, who would you get that would be as good as I am? <laughs> and, and the other thing she did that I really loved is she was very strategic about confronting her bosses and the men in power. And my favorite story about that is she just never learned to cook. And finally, starving, <laughs> her children, uh, Marty Ginsburg, her husband, took up, he had been a chemistry major in college, so cooking was not unfamiliar to him. So, so he took up cooking and became a very great chef. And finally, one day, having had some ghastly thing that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had prepared, her children said, please, Mom, just go away from the kitchen and uh, let Dad cook. But the lesson there is don't make a head-on battle if you can get what you need sideways. And that, I think, is a very important thing to take from these women. They were very strategic in picking their battles. I'm so excited that in one way I am very similar to Ruth Bader Ginsburg because I also cannot cook, and I excel at that to the point that my husband does all the grocery shopping and cooking. So we're like twins, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. And, and redistributing the private labor of maintaining the household evenly is just as important as the Equal Rights Amendment because you're never going to make it in the demanding world of work if you are also working the second shift at home. Ruth and Sandra were allies, okay? They were not BFFs. They did not go out shoe shopping together. They did not spend New Year's together as Ruth and Marty spend it with the Scalia's. But they were very, very formally respectful to one another, and they never lost a chance to praise each other. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, called Sandra Day O'Connor the best big sister a person could have because Sandra Day O'Connor showed her some of the inside story of how to get along in the Supreme Court when she arrived. And Sandra Day O'Connor wrote to Barry Goldwater, a very conservative politician, completely unprompted when Ruth Bader Ginsburg got to the court. O'Connor wrote to Goldwater and said, Justice Ginsburg is a very knowledgeable and effective judge. So I believe in formal courtesy. They treated each other with great respect in the tone of their memos to one another, because, you know, the justices write memos to each other about their opinions. Mm -hmm. And so let's say Sandra got assigned an opinion and she circulated it to all the justices. If you read what Ginsburg says to O'Connor about a pending opinion, it's always very respectful. And you see O'Connor doing the same thing. So I, I actually don't care what you think about the people that you need to make an alliance with or work with. In your head, you need to behave outwardly in a disciplined and courteous way. That's really powerful. It's really important that women take away that message. You can have an alliance, and they were more powerful together for women than they each would have been separately. 
Let me ask one last thing. From where we are today, are you optimistic with where we're going? I am very worried about the next election. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot is going to depend upon what happens in the next election. That there are three judges over 80, you know, there are going to be three justices over 80. And even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, much as we would wish it, is not immortal. And so I am, uh, and, and there are cases even now, this very, in a month, the court's going to open. And they're going to decide cases that will have a very powerful effect on how women can live their lives. Like there are two very important abortion cases coming up. You know, I'm worried. On the other hand, you can't just come off the story that I just finished and not be optimistic. The difference in the world from when Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sandra Day O'Connor got out of law school in the 50s and 2015 is just enormous. And I don't think that a court would roll it all the way back to before they started their work. You know, I think that a lot of what they accomplished is now baked in the cake, and that makes me optimistic. Great. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you both. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our awesome team, our design and web intern, Casey Campbell. And our podcast editor, Melissa Santoro. Please remember to check out our website, subscribe, and click around for all the great tools and listen to more podcasts.